boy, did I, I had no idea. We look in the book of Acts and we see, and then Paul went here and they, you know, Timothy went there and realized, oh, crud, that was like, that's hard to say goodbye to your friends, to say goodbye to your family. Uh, in, in the scriptures, we see it over and over again, and we've, we've been able to live that here. And I don't believe that will be the last of the goodbyes. It's not even been all of our goodbyes. We've sent many people out to many places, um, but the first of many. Uh, people have asked, are you going to go to two services, which might make me a, a bad pastor, but it just makes me want to throw up thinking of that. Um, and so my goal is not to uh, squish growth, but to keep, we'll just keep sending people out. And then, right? Just as, as the Lord leads and uh, we're a church that is, uh, we believe that Acts is short for action, the Acts. Uh, it's called the Acts of the Apostles. I think that's a misnomer. It's really the Acts of the Holy Spirit through us, and that continues to this day. And so we've got uh, just amazing things that have happened globally and nationally as well. Mike and Anita Howard are with us this morning from Pennsylvania, Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, where a, a house church that serves alongside of Conduit, that they lead, and they have been very instrumental in the work that we're doing in Togo, Africa, and Jacmel, Haiti, and a, a group of believers that gathers together, two or three are gathered there in my name, there I am in the midst of them, and boy, congratulations, you got a church, right? And uh, as we've unpacked it in conversations over the years, we've known the Howards for a while, and uh, it just was one of those God-Holy Spirit uh, moments, and just honored to get to serve alongside of you guys and what you're doing in Mechanicsburg, and it was a picture that the Lord. <laughs> we were uh, we do this thing in our home now called Discovery Conduit, and the main purpose is to. It's kind of hard to know where to go to church, right? You never, especially if you've got certain denominational things, and everybody used to be you knew because it was the Baptist church, it was the Nazarene church, and it was this church and that. But now it's kind of hard because we're there's we, we're disguised all the names. Well, what is this and that? So we did this thing that we just did our home for six weeks to get to know us, to get to know. Hey, this is what the, what we've done as a church. This is what we believe, and for you to get an opportunity to say that's what we believe as well. But. To, uh, uh, the first time we did that, I began to write on the, a whiteboard, here's what God has done at Conduit. And I realized that I had drawn out, a, a, I, it wasn't me trying to draw something and then let the Lord go do it. And to me telling God what to do, here's our quote, mission statement and our vision and rah-rah. But it was us looking back and saying, oh, that's what the, the Lord has done. And boy, that's a lot better picture than I would have drawn. And part of it is uh, th uh, these house churches that have uh, been being birthed, uh, we're not working at it. We're not laboring for it. Uh, Pensacola, Florida is another band of believers that have gathered together. Grand Rapids, Michigan. We don't own it, but what Paul did on that last missionary journey was so amazing. He went from city to city to city to city. All churches that he had been part of planting and being a birthing. I'm not, I don't like the word planting, but birthing bodies of believers and so those were independent, autonomous expressions of Christ in those communities. But then they worked collectively for the global cause. And at that point, he was receiving an offering for the saints in Jerusalem who were persecuted and were in famine. And so the independent, they were working autonomously, but yet they worked collectively for that. And he would receive an offering that he would talk of in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Hey, we're bringing this distribution to you. He, he mentioned it again in Romans 15. This distribution, and that word distribution that he said there was the word koinonia, which is the word we know as fellowship. 
So in Acts 2.42, when it says that they devoted themselves to four things, to prayer, to teaching, to breaking of bread, and to fellowship, koinonia, that that means that not only are we hanging together and knowing each other, but we are giving to each other, and then collectively, globally, we are koinonianging. Someone write that down. I think I just conjugated a new verb. Our brothers and sisters in Jockmel, Haiti, where I was two weeks ago, uh, watching the Lord move in the, the hearts of these people, these boys and girls. I was talking with Bucky and Kimmy Elliott this morning because the, the little boy that they have sponsored for years now, his name is Sebastian. And when we first arrived there years ago, he knew one phrase in English, and it was, and I quote, you give me money, baby. <laughs> no, we don't. Um, the little guy speaks English. I had a conversation with him. Like, the Lord is moving in his heart. He's 13 now, and he's a little leader in their little youth group, and God is changing this village from the inside out. We met with Over Nelson and his family, who was the voodoo priest that last May gave his life to Christ, burned all of his stuff, and now he is a 70-year-old construction manager of our projects down there, uh, kind of overseeing the processes and the Lord has just been good, and it's because we've been able to koinonia with each other here, koinonia with our brothers and sisters in Mechanicsburg, and then we koinonia with our friends around the world. The fact that we meet in a school like this is not by accident. It's like 1200 bucks a month to be here. It frees, we're not chasing the building campaign. or the, I'm not throwing rocks at anybody that has to do that. I'm not Holy Ghost Junior. He doesn't need my help. But that's not what he's called us to do us to be conduit of his spirit, and sometimes that means our finances, and we move them from here to places around the world or to here locally. Uh, in May, we're going to talk a lot about that. We're wanting to unpack how we did last year and where we're going in, the, in this year as the Lord is leading, but that's a part of what conduit has been, and uh, I'm just grateful because I got to tell you, I'm not smart enough to figure this one out. This is just the Lord. I don't mean that in any sort of like false humility way. I genuinely wouldn't test that high. So this is the Lord, and we give him all the credit because it's you, it's me, it's us together locking arms. It really is just the body of Christ. And on that note, Romans chapter 4. I'm going to move with purpose and urgency this morning. It's on page 995. Verse 1, what shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter, if in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about. But not before God, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. In verse 4, and now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. He is setting up the tone for Romans 1 through 3 can feel a little hopeless. Basically saying that mankind is sinful, that we are uh, in need of a savior, and now what do we do? And in Romans 3.28, he says, in conclusion, it's that we are justified by faith. Not by anything we do, not by praying harder or any of those things, but by faith. And now he's saying, and that's what this looks like, that Abraham was justified by faith. Did you ever, did you realize that? That Abraham wasn't justified by anything he did, that when he marched up the mountain, with his son, that God didn't say, oh, you are righteous, dude, because you did that. 
when he was the first guy to be circumcised. Now let that sit in for a minute. I'm going to give you a sign, Abraham, God said. And I'm sure well, I'm going to get a huge crown, a palace, a mansion. Nope. <laughs> and he signed up for that. And, he, and God didn't at that moment say you were righteous. It was in Genesis 15 when he believed God and it was counted unto him as righteousness. He'll go on and say that about David here and saying David was counted when he believed. He's basically saying that the Hebrew royal family and the Hebrew national family, he's taking out the two big dogs in the Jewish community here, saying you think that this is how it is, but it isn't. That it's by grace that you're saved. And he would go on here in verse 7. Let's go back. Now when a man works, verse 4, go back there with me. It's not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. And he quotes David from Psalm 32.1 when he says, Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Father, as we encounter your word this morning, it is a lamp for us, but it's also a surgical tool. It divides between the soul and the spirit, you tell us in Hebrews 4. And so today we ask for you to let your word divide between our soul and our spirit, that things that we think that, I can't help it, it's just who I am, that's in my soul. Let the word just slice those things away, gentle surgery on our spirits this morning. And it's in your name that we pray, amen. I am sure you guys have been anxiously awaiting the results of the UN uh, happiness tests, world polls this week. I'm sure you haven't, so you probably already know this, but just in case anybody here, and I'm sure not very many of you, have not read the results of the report from the uh, Conference on Happiness at the UN. I wish I were making that up. I hope that that was Ted Turner's $1 billion going to a lot of work right there. Create, how about we create the Council on World Happiness? So they spent God only knows how much money, again, hopefully of Ted Turner's money, when he said, and some of you aren't old enough to remember that, but a few of you do. Th- these are the results that they found as what it is that uh, brings happiness in the world. What's interesting to me is that it seems like they spent most of their time saying, this is what does not bring happiness. And it's because the one thing that does, they don't believe in. So they're kind of like swinging for the fence on this. But they said that uh, wealth is only one small factor in the overall happiness. The same goes for countries where factors like personal freedom, lack of corruption, and social support are more important. Saying that personal freedom, social support, which is code for relationships, is more brings happiness as opposed to wealth. They found out that unemployment obviously reduces happiness, but not for the reasons that you think. It says that the loss of things like self-esteem and workplace social life, again, relationships. By not having that true community relationship, the people are not happy. It would go on to say that 
married people across the world, and these are studies that were done in the U.S., EU, Switzerland, Latin America, Russia, Eastern Europe, Asia, claim that they are happier than their single counterparts. A stable family life also contributes to happiness. They sum it up with this statement, that except in the very poorest of countries, happiness varies more with the quality of human relationships than with income. And I'm here to tell you that we've had a front row seat in Haiti and Africa and places that are developing nations, and they have relationships there that they never had before. And there's some really happy people there. It's hard to covet when you don't even know what your neighbor has. Well, when your neighbor has nothing, there's nothing to covet, right? But if you don't understand that there's things like an iPhone and boats and those things that are not inherently sinful, but if you don't have one of those and you, 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 know, you don't know to covet them because they don't even know they exist. It's relationship that is what it is that drives it. It says in the richest countries it is essential not to, listen to this, subordinate the happiness of the people to the, quote, interests of the economy since the marginal utility of income is low when income is so high. It was basically saying that if we spend all of our time and energy trying to, quote, bolster the economy, we are missing by a mile what it takes to create happiness and fulfillment. And the truth is, is all they needed to do, they could have saved all their money and sent the check back to Ted Turner and just read Romans chapter 4 when he says that blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven, whose transgressions are covered that word blessed means, oh, happy. Like, rockin' awesome is the person whose sins are covered. And he's quoting from the book of Psalms, which was written by a guy who knew a little something about that. You know, David, this guy that was a man after God's own heart, uh, had a little problem. He had a little bit of a secret. He had a little bit of a uh, sin thing that he did. And you... You think he's quoting here in Psalms 32 about the happy is the man. That was leading up to a process in much the same way that Paul's was, by the way. Romans 7, 24, he would say that wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? It's been said, by the way, that that is a picture of, in antiquity, there were certain societies that if a person murdered somebody, that there were certain circumstances under which the punishment would be to tie the corpse of the murdered person to the person who committed the crime, and they had to drag him around for days and days and days as the corpse rotted and stunk. It was weekend at Bernie's on steroids. And that was a punishment. It's done in America, but not in the way you might think. In certain places, rural places, I may or may not have seen this actually happen. Uh, there are, if your dog eats a chicken, your dog gets a taste for chicken, they will tie a dead chicken around the dog's net right up here and let him drag around with him for as long as it takes for that thing to rot right off of his neck, and it will cure him of his taste for chicken. Pet lovers, I'm sorry. I did, I've not done this. I've just heard. Maybe I've seen it. My, may or may not have been my grandma. I'm just saying <laughs> she's in heaven. You have never seen a woman be able to cut off the head of a chicken better than my grandma. Traumatized me as a little kid, but, uh, but she didn't want the dogs eating the chickens. And, and Paul would say, who would rescue me from this body of death that's chained to me? David would be saying that too, because he was at the top of his game around 50 years old when he was 
staying home. It was the uh, season of war. In ancient times, there were two seasons. It wasn't football and basketball. There was no March Madness. It was either war season or not war season. And when war season was in play, the kings would all get together and they would go uh, conquer and conquest. And even if you didn't want to attack, you were going to be attacked. So everybody needed to get dressed and go to work. Not this year, not David. At 50 years old, he's like, you know what? You guys have fun. I'm going to hang back. And let that be a warning, by the way. Retirement is an American idea. It is not a biblical concept. Now, I'm not suggesting retirement from work is not a good thing. But this idea uh, if that I'm now I'm, I'm retired, I could just hang back in the back and not have to worry about anything with the Lord because I put in my time. Very dangerous time. There are seasons of rest, seasons of activity. But to hang back when the Lord has said go and you are not... Uh, you're really putting yourself in trouble in risk of finding something else to do with your time, which is what David did. As he stood on his rooftop and looked down and saw uh, Sheba as she was bathing, and thus she will now be known as Bathsheba. And he says, we, go home on we need to go home on that one right there. I got nowhere to go but down. But he's, he looks down, and, he's, he, and he desires her, and he takes her, and, and uh, they... She ends up getting pregnant, which is sort of a problem because his popularity is roaring right now. I mean, he's, he's walking in the streets. Women are singing. It's like Justin Bieber meets Glee. He walks out, and people just burst into song. <laughs> David Bieber. So he's very popular, and he knows this is not good. So he says, hey, look, and you know this story. He sends Uriah to the front lines, which is Bathsheba's husband, and says to the men, you uh, give this signal, and when the signal is given, Everybody retreat except Uriah who won't know the signal. And Uriah was murdered on that day, premeditated. And that was all David. And it's interesting because he writes this psalm, Psalm 32, after this time. If you're looking for a, a study, study the psalms sometime chronologically. Read the Psalms before David had his little problem and the Psalms after. Change in tone in David's heart. Because now he knows, I ain't all that in a bag of chips. He says that blessed is the man, verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit is no deceit. He had a little secret. And he goes on to talk about that now. There's a 8 to 12 month period of time between the time that this all went down and the time that he would be confronted by Nathan the prophet. And he says that when I kept silent, okay, the cover up was on. I've told my kids before, and you might remember this, Maddie, that oftentimes it's not the sin, uh, the first sin that gets you in the most trouble. It's lying about it later that gets you in trouble. Ask any politician. It's almost like they don't know that. It's almost also like they shouldn't have Twitter accounts, but that's a whole other sermon. But they, it says, when I kept silent, when I was covering this up, that my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. And when you've got sin in your life that you have not brought to the Father to confess, to deal with with the Father, man, isn't that the truth? It's just miserable. Because you've probably had the lie to get to where you are, to cover up something, and then that spawns another lie, and another next thing you know, you're just miserable. It's like your, your hair hurts. It's just, oh, 
I just, it's all, you know, it just consumes you. That's why I think he says bones, because you need your bones everywhere you go. At 41, I'm very aware of that now. As I wake up in the morning, they're all cracking and popping and waking up the neighbors because my ankles. And, but the bones are important, and it's like inside of you, it just, it just moves slower because I don't want you to know. What I want you to know is that I'm really spiritual, but that's not true. And so when I'm keeping it, I'm un- keeping it undercover, it makes me miserable inside. It says that, uh, verse 4, day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped. The hand, not of blessing, but of pressing. I don't believe it was a punishment. I think if you've ever had a kid uh, fall in uh, the pool, you jump in, you grab them, you pull them out, and you might actually bruise or hurt them to try to save them. If you've had a kid jump in before a car, you're going to grab them and pull them back. You're going to hold them down to keep them from getting hurt. That's what I believe. When it's pressing him down, it was a hand of pressing on him. It says, my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Saying that, it's like, uh, I, and you, you maybe know this, that, that dry time spiritually that you've gone through. And uh, maybe it's because there's some sin stuff in your life that you just haven't taken the time to dealt with, dealt with, deal with. Haven't taken time to take it to the Father and to confess it and to say, and look, it ain't like he doesn't know. It ain't like confession is for him going, oh, wow, that's really interesting. I had no idea. Jesus, get over here. Do you hear what he just said? Holy Spirit. I mean, seriously, did you know that? Now he knows. It's for us. It's out of our mouth. We're speaking it to him for us. And he said that uh, it's like I was dry in, in famine. And then he says, Selah, which is uh, King James speak for, think about it. And that's what he says. That That's what I felt was that. For those months and months, I had this secret, this sin. I didn't want anybody to know. I didn't want to talk about it until I, he says here in verse 5, that I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Think about that. The moment when Nathan the prophet said, hey, uh, dude, seriously, God knows what you did. And David said, against the Lord I have sinned. And he confessed it at that moment. And he's, so for months and months he's miserable, but at the second that he confessed it and acknowledged it and took it to the Father and gave it to him, happy is the man whose sins are forgiven, whose transgressions are covered. Incidentally, it might, when you read that first verse, seem a little redundant. Covered, sent, and forgiven. But I don't believe it is. I think that he was painting a picture. The word forgiven means sent away. The word covered is sprinkled. There's only one place in the Jewish culture in the Bible where those two things, one being sent away, the other being sprinkled, come together. It's Yom Kippur which is celebrated by the Jewish people every year around October 10th. It's talked about in Leviticus 16, when they would bring two goats to the high priest. And one they would send packing into the wilderness. The priest would pick him up and he would send him away. The other goat, arguably the less fortunate goat, would be slain. His throat would be slit and the blood would then be sprinkled on the altar on specifically the mercy seat, which was the lid that was put on top of. And Jonathan, do you have that video? It reminded me of a moment that I'd recently had in Haiti 
a couple of weeks ago about a goat that, uh, a scapegoat that had been slain on our behalf. faked us out. You're welcome. Um, we uh, may uh, we did eat that goat for dinner, but um, <laughs> the goat was sprinkled on the altar. The blood was sprinkled, and it was a picture for us. And David was saying, "Not and interestingly enough, happy is the man who has power." The UN report would say that, saying that in America we have uh, our. Income and our lifestyles have gone up dramatically, but our happiness has gone down exponentially. He, he not prestige. David had power and prestige and prosperity. He had prowess. Not happy is the man who's got all kinds of girls. David had that. UN reports as marriage is makes us happier. And it's just, I mean, it's like they spent all this money to tell us what God told us all along, that happy is not the man that all those things happen to. He said, happy is the man whose sins are sent away. And I'm so glad he said sent away. He would say in Psalm 103 that as far as the east is from the west. A little geography lesson for the kids. If I were to go out here on 65 and walk north approximately 6,000-ish miles, eventually I'd get to the North Pole. And when I am there, no matter what direction I step from the North Pole, I am stepping south. As far as the north is from the south is very, very far. But he didn't say that. He said as far as the east is from the west. 
So if I walk out here and I take uh, on I-40 and just go and I walk across the ocean and I walk, uh, I will keep going and the compass will never change from east to west because they are infinitely far apart from each other. He said, that's how far I'm sending that goat away from you. In Isaiah, he would say that I'll blot out your sins. Isaiah 43, I'm going to blot out your sins. In Jeremiah 31, 34, he'd say that I won't remember your sins anymore. God can do everything, but there are things that he wills himself not to do. I am not going to remember it. And happy is the person whose transgressions are sent away, east from the west, whose sins are covered, sprinkled over by not the blood of that young goat, but the blood of Jesus Christ that was spread and on the mercy seat, a picture of what happened because our sins are forgiven. Gone. So when I go to the Father and start trying to bring up this stuff, I'm asking for forgiveness again, it's almost like, uh, i gotta, I got to tell you, I don't know what you're talking about. I've forgiven you of that one. I send it east from the west. That's done. Happy is that person. Happy. David knew something else, though. He knew that God had forgotten it and that in his presence that he had nothing to fear, but he also knew that those sins carried consequences. That while God had forgiven them, that in David's life and all around him, the the nations around him mocked him. Nathan said, that's going to happen, and they did. And boy, haven't we seen that happen when somebody, especially someone maybe famous in Christianity, falls and everybody takes turns throwing rocks on him and tweeting about him and in your own town, David's, uh, he told David that you're going to have people that will, uh, will uh, rebel against you. Now, I'm trying to think of the passage, but it says at one point that they threw rocks at him and said, you're a bloody man. His own people threw rocks at him. And in his own family, the nations around him, the nation linked to him, and the family in front of him, Absalom, his son, would rebel against him. There would be incest in his family. He paid dire consequences for the sins. In front of the Father, they were forgiven, but in his life, there were consequences. It's why our Father hates sin so much. It's not because he's a buzzkill. He knows what it does. In Galatians, it will tell us in 5, don't be mocked, or God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he reap. You sow seeds after the Spirit, you'll reap after that. You sow seeds after the flesh, you'll reap a harvest of corruption. And that word literally means like stink, stench, the dead body, right, that wants to chase you down, that you're going to reap that harvest in front of the Father you're forgiven and your transgressions are taken care of. And some of you know what I'm talking about because some of you, uh, whether through Facebook or whatever, have maybe bumped into some people that you really wish you'd never have seen again because of what you did or what you said. I read uh, not long ago that the human brain, I've told this to Maddie and specifically in regards to boys, that the human brain, uh, the male brain, is not fully formed, this is science by the way, until they're 25 years old. Which explains a lot of the stuff I did that seemed like a perfectly good idea to me. And I'm like, oh, God, please, I don't ever want to see them again. Oh, because there are consequences that are set in motion. It's, he said to sow seeds after the flesh, you're going to reap destruction. We go out and plant our garden and then pray for crop failure on Monday. And that's not going to happen. And now what do we do? Because in your life, You may experience this right now that there are consequences 
There might be relationships that are strained. And, and you've prayed and you've given it to the Father and you're thinking, do I have to live like this and what do I do? David had an answer for us. If you turn with me to Psalm 84, this is where we're going to land today. Because he would say in Psalm 84, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. And if you've been in, if you're maybe there right now where you made a bunch of real bird-brained mistakes, thinking, man, I literally, this is so stupid. Bird-brained. You may even have that feeling of restlessness. If, and maybe you've felt this before. You, as you get older, I assure you, at some point in your life, you'll feel it. Man, I would just love to just move to another town. This whole cheers thing, I want to go where everybody knows my, knows my name. Nope, I want to go someplace where nobody knows my name because my name is mud and I'd just rather be someplace else where nobody knows. I could start over. Maybe you felt that restlessness in your spirit. But interesting, David did not say happy is the person who relocates. Happy is the person that beats themselves up. Happy is the person whose sins are forgiven, whose transgressions are covered. And he would say in verse 2, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns and even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart cries and my, uh, my heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. And listen to this, verse 3. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar. O Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who will dwell in your house and they are ever praising you. You see why? While man may not forgive, what is the words of the Colin Ray song? Uh, Jesus may forgive, but a daddy don't forget. As a daddy, kind of get that now. He's saying, there, he's saying that the sparrow has found a nest, a place. In, in your altar, it was the tabernacle. It was the place where the Ark of the Covenant, where the Spirit of God was, the sanctuary, where the presence of the Lord dwelt. The sparrow has even found a home. A sparrow, which was a bird of worthlessness. If you grew up in the country, you already know that. But in Jesus' day, a sparrow was completely worthless. It was literally, they would uh, buy them, like, I think it's two for a farthing, I think is what Matthew says. And in, uh, in uh, Luke 5, I think it says that six, five for uh, 16 farthing. Like, literally, worse than the wings on 50 cent wing day, kind of cheap. Like, just cheap little birds that are uh, completely worthless. And they would literally, just FYI, uh, buy them and then fry them whole and just eat the whole thing like, an, uh, like a pill. Like a, just a little appetizer of the whole thing. Foot, bill, this is where the uh, term uh, foot the bill came in, I think. Uh, they would pop the whole thing in their mouth, eat them. They were worthless. And Jesus would say in Matthew 10, 29, they're so worthless, but even your heavenly father knows when one of them has fallen. And you're more worth, worthful. You have more worth than them. The sparrow... The worthless bird has found a home, not in the condo in Destin, not in the career move, not in power or prowess or prestige, but in the sanctuary, in the presence of God. The swallow was a bird that was restless. A, a swallow doesn't even, their legs don't, uh, aren't made to roost very long. So they're flying all the time, and they travel great distances to migrate. And they don't stay still very long because they're restless. they got to get out of here. i got to get going on. 
too much discomfort here. I got to go. But it says that in the sanctuary, that even the swallow has found his home. A few verses later, David is going to say, better is one day in your courts than a thousand. We sing it over and over again. But what he is saying is this. Very simply put, your sins have consequences. So I would caution you. Not because you're going to make God love you more or less, but man, there's just things that happen because of your actions. And God never promised that those consequences would go away. What he promised was is that I'm not going to hold it against you. The things that are going to pay off down the line, you think, man, that was a long time ago. If you walk out into the night sky tonight, there's a star called Sirius that is nine light years away from here. Here's what that means. That the light that we see, that star that we see, that is from nine years ago. It could blow up today and we wouldn't know for nine years. Conversely, the sin that I did nine years ago happened nine years ago. But if you're on Sirius looking over to Earth, you're just now seeing what I did nine years ago. The long-lasting reverberations in the people in Sirius' area would say, that is a serious thing that you've done. I'm sorry. I should have quit. No. But the, the reverberations are going long past. And so when you're young and you think, man, I, I'm going to get away with this one. You're a husband, you think, man, she doesn't know what I'm looking at. But let me tell you what, she does because the way that you pull away from her. Your sin has a consequence with it. Women, maybe the things that you're reading, you think, well, that's no big deal. But he can't live up to that because he can't fly. For crying out loud, you don't watch Superman and think he can fly. But you see this movie or you read this book and think, well, why can't my man be like that? Let me tell you why. Because at some point the director said, cut, and the actor went back to being a butthole. Okay? Because <laughs> that's... He, um, we don't get... The, the director doesn't say cut for us. You or me or anybody... And so, the, but those sins have consequences with you or them, and it's things that are paying off in ways that you don't even, maybe even realize. That's why it's important to just say, look, I have, Paul would say this, right? Well, I can just do whatever I want, right? He said, absolutely not. Don't be silly. Just because your sins are forgiven of the Father doesn't mean there are not consequences in the immediate world around you, in your family, in your city, in your nation. There are consequences. But for those of you, those of me, who have blown it and who have caused things that I regret and hurts that I wish that I hadn't have done, happy is the person whose transgressions are covered and forgiven, and I find that happiness in the sanctuary. With brothers and sisters in Christ around me who aren't judging me, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He dwells in you, he dwells in you, and we're together. We have created sanctuary together. Sometimes the last place you want to be when you blow it is here. But let me tell you, it's the best place you can be around other brothers and sisters in sanctuary together. Blessed is the man whose transgressions are sent away, that covered, and happy is that person, and that happiness is realized in sanctuary with the Father. Because the world outside of the temple, it was falling apart. But man, in there, it was them, it's you, and it's Jesus. 
There's no better place to be for that happiness to be realized than in the presence of the Lord. As we worship for just a little bit longer, my encouragement to us is some of us this morning have got some sin that I just need to confess. I need to get it out. I need to talk to the Father about it. Bring it to him. Your bones are aching. You're miserable. You're feeling pressed down. Maybe it's you just need to deal with something with the Father. And here's the good news. You won't even have to guess. He'll show you. I know that there are lists and stuff available, but he's going to tell you. You don't need to look at the list. You're like, oh, that's true. That's totally me. What is he dealing with you about? What is he speaking to your heart about? Bring it to the Father. Confess it, and it's done. It's forgiven. There might be consequences, and you may have to pay up. There might be debts that you have to pay because of what you did financially, relationally, emotionally, but not in the presence of God. It's done. It's paid for there. And happy are you who realize that those sins are forgiven and that someday when we're in heaven, we stand before what is called the Bema Seat of Christ and he'll be able to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. He'll say, you might, well, God, I did this. What are you talking about? That robe that you get to wear, that white robe, that's mine, not yours. You're covered with me. Whatever you did is covered in the presence of the Father. Period. And so maybe it, you might think, Darren, this is, uh, this is both a good and bad news sermon. Yeah. Because there are things that you're going to have to maybe pay for and live out here on earth. But guess what? It's going to drive you to the Father. If you didn't have that, when Jacob wrestled with the angel, he walked away with a limp, didn't he? God could have healed it, but he didn't. And he took a wooden cane, and for the rest of his life, he would limp. Every step reminded, he would lean on that wood. We can be reminded every step we take, we are leaning on the cross of Christ. If I could walk perfectly, I might think, I don't need him. It's just a reminder that I do. It was true all along, but Jesus just left that as a reminder. Just in case you think you're a little more clever than you are. And you know what? You can walk with a limp with pride. Not in you, but in Jesus and the work that was done in Calvary. It's forgiven. It's done. It's gone. Forever. Father, better is one day in your courts. As a forgiven man, as a forgiven woman, better is one day in your courts. That's what David was writing. And it's what we can now live and realize ourselves My sins have been blotted. They've been sent away. You've forgotten them. I ask for strength for those of us that may be living out some consequences now to give us the strength to walk through them. And every time it feels too much, remind us to go right back into the sanctuary, right back into your presence where my sins are forgiven. They're sent away. They're blotted out. They're gone. As we worship, there is communion available, no better place than in the sanctuary, than to participate in the body of Christ and the blood as a reminder of what he did. Let the words of this song pierce your heart, pierce your soul. And in the words of the the great poet, don't worry, be happy in the presence of the Father.